Well, it's so good to be together this morning. Uh, I don't know about you, but that song kind of gets me, I think the word is like jacked up. Like it gets me really excited on Easter morning. So I want you to just put your hand up in the air. Everybody do it. Come with me. Put your hand up there. Just like give your neighbor a high five. Say, he is risen. <laughs> give him a high five. There you go around. If you're not used to it, somebody's like, I've never given grandma a high five before. <laughs> this is weird. So we're so glad that you're with us this morning. And we gather this Sunday morning, Easter Sunday, 2018, to celebrate that Jesus set course on a path that led to a place that has forever changed humanity and has forever changed us. See, we believe that Jesus started on a path due to our rebellion because of God's great love for us, for our own good. Jesus set a course He went on a path for us. He descended to a manger that led to towns and temples and living rooms, roadsides that would then lead to a garden. And that garden would lead to an arrest, would lead to beatings, spitting, thorns, lashes, Spears, mocking, rejection, betrayal, abandonment, butchery, lies, pain, and unrelenting suffering that would lead to his crucifixion, that would then lead him to a grave in which he laid in the tomb for three days. Gone, no longer present in a tomb. But on the third day, the path that he was on would lead him to a place of a resurrected body. Walking around, talking for 40 days about the kingdom of God. And then he would ascend to heaven and he would sit down the right hand of God and proclaim in his sitting that there is no more sacrifice needed. He has finished the work that we could not finish on our own. The path that Jesus set course on was finished for the glory of God and for our own good. His path led to a place and for that we are forever changed. If he would have stayed in that tomb, dead, All of his claims would have been false. He proclaimed over and over again that I'm going to come, I'm going to give my life, and I'm going to rise up after three days. But he did not stay in that tomb. He rose and defeated death, conquering the grave, death and hell, and that is why we gather this morning. We gather to celebrate our resurrected Savior. So I want you to turn to your neighbor again one more time. I want you to say, paths lead to places. Say it to him quick, paths lead to places. All right, paths lead to places. Each of us find ourselves here today on a path that leads to a place. And nobody knows the path you're on better than you. And probably no one can decide what the end of that path leads to more than you for your own life and for yourself. Some of you came 
here this morning in celebration and you're beyond excited about the path your life is on. You have been reconciled to God through Jesus. You are full of joy and you are full of peace and you are full rest that the path that your life is on is set toward Jesus Christ, your King, and you are bursting with joy this morning. Some come here like that today. But for some of you, I don't know if you know this, I've experienced this some in my life. Life can be hard. Anybody there? Yeah, amen. Life can be hard. And some of you, have been on the same path for a long time and you are tired. Some of you come here today and if you're honest, your life in some form or fashion has been filled with grief and you just want your path to move toward comfort but you don't even know how to find that anymore. Maybe others are just at the beginning of your journey, the path you're on maybe for the good or the bad. Maybe others, you've, you're on a path filled with regret that the wake of your life as you look back, you regret the path that you've chosen and the harm that you've caused others on the road you're on. See, I believe that today is a day to allow our paths to intersect with Jesus and new beginnings and redirection can come They can happen today. And only when our lives intersect the life of Jesus, only when our lives intersect the one who died on the cross for us and took the death we deserved in the tomb that was ours, can we truly find life and peace in him. So today is a day to let our lives intersect with Jesus. So if you will, turn with me to Romans 6. Verses 5 through 11. Romans 6, 5 through 11. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat ahead of you. We'd love to give that to you as a gift today. You can take it. If you're in the front row, sorry, no Bibles for you. It'll also be on the screen. Um, You can follow with me as I read. So if you will, stand this morning in honor and reverence of reading God's word. Romans 6, verses 5 through 11. Read. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Father, would you this morning give us ears to hear the depths of your word and the truths within it. Lord, that you would open our eyes to see more clearly the path and the road that you would have us to walk down. And Lord, I pray that to any end you desire, use me. Lord, we thank you for this time together. We're blessed, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So verse five in this text, it is kind of the the big picture. It's the big idea of the rest of the passage. So it says, if we have been united with him in a death like his... 
we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So when Jesus died on the cross for us, he took the death we deserved. And the tomb that was our tomb, and when he resurrected, he paved the way for our resurrection. Through his perfect sacrifice, we are set right with God. So in light of this, like in light of this truth, there's three words that just kind of pop out of the text. And so simply, we're just going to look at those three words that that pop out of this text. And the first is sin. Sin is that which we are enslaved to, the penalty and the power of sin. Do you know this, that, that sin has a power that works over our lives? Now, Let's just be honest. Can we be honest for a minute? I know we're in church. We're typically not. But, but just for a second, if we could be honest with each other this morning, is sin is an issue we all have. Are, are you with me? Do, does anybody have an issue with sin in this room? All right. I saw you raise your hand over there. Biggest sinner of all. And so, so, so we all have an issue of sin. Sin enslaves us. And would we all agree that sin has power? Now, I believe, and it's through my own experience, that sin has a power over us. It is enticing and it moves us. And we truly believe that if I indulge in this, or if I indulge in that, or if I go after this, that somehow my life will have more value, it will have more meaning, it will have greater purpose. And we begin to move these things. So the text says it like this, our old self was crucified with him. So meaning that his death, past event, has a present implication in our life. So Again, the word here was crucified. Our old self was crucified with him. If you are in Jesus Christ, if you have repented of your sins and turned to faith in him, you, your, your sin was crucified, meaning that it's gone, that there's nothing that you need to do. There's nothing you can do. Only Jesus can pay the penalty for our sins. This is something that we cannot do on our own behalf. So his death, past event with a present implication in our life. Then it continues, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So meaning crucified, so that our sinful nature might be brought to nothing. And nothing means absolutely powerless over our life. And so there's this great truth in this, that Jesus paid the penalty that we could not in in and of ourselves. And now in Jesus, that the power of sin doesn't have to reign over our lives anymore. So the power, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, no longer live in bondage to it. Now, what it's speaking of here is this word kind of appetite. Before I knew Jesus, and I'll just speak for myself, before I knew Jesus, I had an appetite to live in rebellion. And I believed that in my rebellion that I could find joy, I could find life, and I could have peace outside of God. And in that, I lived and I bore the consequences of all of that in my life. For me, when I came to know Jesus, I couldn't believe that God would love me so much that he did so much that he would not spare his very own son and give himself for me on the cross. The beatings, the butchery of the cross for my sin. And the thought that I didn't have to do anything to gain it, but he did it for me. And all that I had to do was reckon my life over to his hands And then the love and the peace and the joy of God could be mine. And I could be set free. And not only the penalty of sin, but the power of sin. And so for me, what changed in my life 
was I didn't have an appetite for sin anymore because I had an appetite for God. I, I just wanted to honor my Savior in my flesh because I loved him more than I loved my sin. And this is what this is speaking of. This isn't some like therapeutic moral deism where we just have this therapeutic God in the sky that wants to just have us live a good moral life and he's somewhere, right, doing something. But this is a real God who really loved us and displayed this through his son. And he doesn't want to transform our behavior. He wants to transform our very hearts at the level of desire and give me a new appetite. And so for me, when I got an appetite for Jesus, this appetite for me has been growing and growing and growing. And this is what this text is speaking of. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin because he changed us at the deepest level of desire, desiring him more than our sin. So it says, it continues, for one who has died has been set free from sin. That I can be free. I can be free in Jesus. So what is sin? Sin is living in rebellion to the rule and law of God. And we could say this another way, the rule and law of God that is for our own good. And I say that again, the rule and law of God is for our own good. God isn't just like some like, like God of like the party crasher, Right? He just wants to wreck our lives and make them terrible. What God is is a God who wants our lives to live in his peace and to live in his joy and to live as he made us. So sin is living in rebellion to the rule and law of God for our own good. Sin is not this abstract thing, right? And so this works this way out with my kids. So um, I have four daughters, if you didn't know that. And uh, my four daughters, they sin a lot. And this is how it looks when they do. They, they do this thing, they say, well, if this thing wouldn't have done this, then I wouldn't have done that. Or if my sister wouldn't have done this, and I did this. And so what they do is they live in this justification of their terribleness, right, at times, right, of their not loving and they're not being kind and they're not showing. And, but it, it's crazy how, like, it's never their fault. Does anybody parent with, I mean, raise your hand. Is this true? Is it only my kids? <clears throat> but well, it's easy with kids to see that, but we do the same thing as adults, it's never my fault. Man, if this coworker wouldn't have done this and I wouldn't have done this and I wouldn't have said this or I wouldn't have done that. And, and this is just kind of thing because what we do is we want to just act like a sin. It's this inanimate thing. It's not this thing that I actually enacted or did. Sin is not abstract. It is enacted and attached to us and it enslaves us. Sin is our rebellion, our pride, our selfishness, our desires, our lack of an appetite for God and our, our own appetite for our flesh, our wants, our will, our desire. And what sin causes us to do is to spiral downward. Galatians 5 talks about it like this, the fruits of the flesh and the fruits of the spirit. And the fruit of the flesh works like this, it's anger, wrath, malice, envy, rivalries, jealousy. And so what happens when anger kind of gets embedded in your heart? We just begin to spiral downward, don't we? We begin to justify it. We begin to say why we deserve to be angry, why this person did wrong. And we just begin to spiral downward. Jealousy, we spiral downward. Envy, all of these sins, we spiral downward with. Anybody had any of these before? Okay, yes. And uh, if you said no in your heart, you are a liar, right? Like we've all had these things. I've called you liars twice now. Sorry about that. And so... So the text then, it changes, it transitions from the fruits of the flesh to the fruits of the spirit. And the fruit of the spirit is this, it's love and it's joy and it's peace. And when we get an appetite for God, we begin to chase after him, we begin to spiral upward with him, wanting to desire him more love, 
wanting to, wanting to live in his peace and his kindness and his gentleness and his self-control. And these things become part of who we are and the outflowing of our life. Sin no longer has to have power over us. The penalty has been removed from us. We don't have to let it strangle us anymore when we grow in our affections for our king. So the second word that we see in the text is death. Death. Now, um, bad news Easter morning. Uh, from my experience as a pastor uh, over the last 18 years, um, everybody dies. Like that's my, that's the bad news. I don't know if you knew that this morning, but nobody's getting out of here alive, right? And the Bible's going to speak about death all the time. And so if you don't like death, don't read the Bible because it's everywhere, right? And if you just forget about it and hope it goes away, it's not going to work. Like it doesn't work like that. It's real, right? And so what this text proclaims is this great truth that death is defeated, Death is defeated through Christ Jesus. A friend of mine, some of you may know him, Steve Marshall. He's a pastor at Mission View Church. He was. Steve passed away a couple weeks ago. I went to his memorial services this last Sunday night. And one of the great things about this Easter Sunday in this text is my friend Steve, he is worshiping with Jesus in heaven because Jesus paid the price that Steve could not pay himself and Jesus resurrected from the dead and Steve is resurrected and Steve is experiencing a second death and Steve is alive in heaven worshiping Jesus every day is Easter Sunday for Steve for the rest of time and eternity. Death is defeated. So it says in the text, now if we have died with Christ, a surrender of self over to him, we believe also that we will live with him. This is a life of obedience to his rule and reign now in our life. We know that Christ being raised from the dead, meaning that Jesus has resurrected, again, he claimed he was gonna do this, he died, and he did it. He got up, he walked, he rose from the dead. He is alive. And so now what we have is we have a hope that, that, that today that there is an eternal presence that resides in us and one day we will be in, in the internal presence in front of God forever. We will never die again, the text says. Death no longer has dominion over him. It is finished. For the death he died, he died to sin. Meaning that there is a new reign, there is a new way, there is a new kingdom through Jesus. And then it says, once for all. Meaning that you don't have to have it all together. You don't have to have all of your ducks in a row. Jesus is the one who washes, who cleanses, who sets our paths straight. So the, the path that leads to death was taken for me. Therefore, because Jesus has done this, I can now rise above. I can rise above the brokenness of this world. Now, I don't know if you've observed this as I have, but there's a text, John 10.10 10 says this, the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and you can have it more abundantly. Now, as I watch the world around me, it seems like there's a lot of stealing, there's a lot of killing, and there's a lot of destruction. Uh, anybody with me on this this morning? I mean, there's a lot of brokenness in our world, isn't there? I mean, do you ever watch the news and just kind of go, <sighs> like, I don't, I don't even know what to do with this anymore. It's like this constant thing. There's stealing and killing and destruction all around us. And we don't have to look very far to see it. See, there's a, there's a path that leads to death that was taken for us. The path of destruction is the path of stealing, killing, and destruction. The path of righteousness, the path of life, is the path of coming after Jesus. And what he says, if you'll come after me, I'm going to give you life, and I'm going to give it to you 
more abundantly, meaning beyond what you could ever think, dream, or imagine. And I believe this is true. And so the third word in the text is life. Life. It says life that can be united in Christ, that meaning in Christ we have life. So he says it like this, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Great way to reckon our lives to God as Jesus did. He says, all glory be to God. For the glory of the Father, I do all that I do. So he says, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin, no longer slaves to the things below, to rise above them and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Through Jesus, the penalty of the power they've been dealt with of sin, death, we can have life in Jesus. And one day, the presence forever. So there's a path that leads to life and it is provided for us. John says it like this, John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is clear that only through him can we have life. See, there is a path that leads to life. But in the room today, we've experienced maybe other paths. So one of the paths looks like this. Maybe for you it was a year ago. Maybe it was two days ago. Maybe your road started a long time ago. But you began to use substances in your life. And these substances in your life were just initially to help you cope and get through. But your life became more dependent on those substances and more and more dependent on those substances. And the path that you began has led to an addiction. And the wake of the path that you're on is destruction and brokenness all around your life. For others, your path that you maybe started last week where you just start dressing a little bit nicer when you go to work, put on a little bit more cologne or perfume, and the path you're on is going to lead to an affair because the lady two cubes down or in the office next door or the man, you're living to impress and the end of that path is an affair. Others, you let anger kind of get into a relationship. And anger kind of began early, and maybe it's with a son or a daughter. Maybe it's with a, a mother or a father, sibling. Maybe it's a neighbor, a coworker, a friend. You let anger get into that relationship. And as anger began, it was just something that was kind of there. And now as it's played itself out, that path led to really broken relationship. Maybe a relationship that doesn't even exist at all. See, paths lead to places. And maybe for us simply this morning, it's just outright rebellion against God. It's just saying, God, I'm on a path and you have no business telling me what to do or how to go about my life. I am fine without you. The Bible calls that rebellion. And maybe you've been living on a path of rebellion And I'll be honest, there's a lot of really good people that go down that path. doesn't mean you do terrible things. It just means that your heart gets set against God and you say, you're not my boss. You're not telling me what to do. I am good without you. By the way, that's what Adam and Eve did in the garden. They simply said, God, no thanks. No thanks for telling us how to go about things. It is the root of sin and it has always been the root of our rebellion. 
there's great hope today. And the great hope is there's a path that leads to life. So whatever path you're on today, you can set course toward Jesus and be reconciled to him. So maybe you have believed and have simply been encouraged this morning to keep on the narrow road, the path that God has called you. Maybe for some of you, you, you believed a long time ago, but you've wandered and you need to set your course toward Jesus today because you have veered far from him. And you need to move back to his plan, his way, his purposes for your life. Or maybe for some, you've never believed. You've never placed your faith. You've never placed your confidence in God. And this morning, you can set course toward him. Proverbs twelve twenty eight says, In the path of righteousness is life, and its pathway there is no death. Proverbs 14, 12 says the opposite. There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way to death. Paths lead to places. Jesus went on a path for us. He stepped down from heaven into a manger, lived a perfect sinless life. He came on a mission to die on the cross for our sins. His blood was shed for us. He was placed in a tomb. Three days later, Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, rose from the dead, defeated death, and in him is life. He defeated hell and the grave. He taught for 40 days. He ascended to heaven. He sat down. He finished the work. See, paths undoubtedly leaves the places. And where is your path headed this morning? And what are you going to do about it? Again, I said at the beginning, no one can tell you your path better than you. Nobody knows your life better than you know your life. And the path you're on today is that a path that has intersected with Jesus and is intersecting with Jesus. You see, today, only when we set our path toward him can we stand right before God and be led to a place in this life and the one to come to be in right standing so this morning, maybe in three ways we could respond. We could respond by simply saying that I'm going to set my life in a new direction. The beginning of the pathway is to repent of your sin and turn to faith in Christ. If you've never done that, today would be a great day for the first time in your life to say, I'm going to move in a new direction, meaning I'm no longer going to rebel against God, but I'm going to repent of my sins and turn in faith to Jesus today. Maybe for others, there's just a redirection that needs to happen in your life. As you walk down the path, maybe you veered off course and you'll respond today. For others, maybe it's just simply a recommitment. As you're living, you've been going down a course and you, you know you love Jesus, but simply you just want to say to him again, I love you and I want to live my life for you. So this Sunday, we gather to celebrate Jesus. Nobody knows the path that you're on better than you. And I believe one of the greatest ways we celebrate the resurrection of our Savior isn't for me to tell you the 14 reasons why he's resurrected and all the finer details of that, which we could do that. But I believe the best thing we can do is respond to a resurrected king. To redirect our lives, each one of us, to live life in light of a Savior who is not dead, but is alive. Jesus said this astonishing truth. 
He said, truly, truly, I say to you, if you believe in me, you will do the things I once did and do even greater because I am going to the Father. This abundant life is this life partnering alongside of the Father in the greatest mission that has ever unfolded in all of time and eternity. And when we set our path toward him, we get to be filled with and do the things that he once did and do even greater because he went to the Father, he sat down, and he's alive. So today, respond as God leads. Maybe it's at these altars. Maybe it's right where you sit. But might we respond to the great news of the resurrection? Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your truth. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Jesus, that you, that you came and dealt with our sin. Jesus, that you came and you dealt with the death. You took the death that we could not. You rose from the dead so that we have hope of resurrection. And Jesus, you have come to provide us life for that we are so grateful. So today, Jesus, we know that unless our paths intersect with you, are intersecting with you, God, we are, we are off course. We're headed toward hardship, trial, pain. But Lord, when our course is set towards you, this life, this love, this joy, this peace, Lord, help us reset course today that we might honor you with all of our lives in light of what you have done for us. Jesus, today, help us respond. We ask this in your name. Amen.